Welcome, Change Cultivators listeners. Patrick Fitzmaurice here, your co-host, and I am excited about the conversation we are just going to have. I'm also excited that my co-host, Rosin Boy, is actually on the other side of the world right now. Welcome, Roz. Where are you at? <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. I have just landed in South Africa after a uh, 30-plus hour journey with a, with a two-year-old toddler. So after lockdown for a while, it is good to be home and to see the family. So nice to be recording from uh, this side of the world for a change. Excellent. And we are have the delight to talk to Hannah. I met, had the chance to meet and interact with Hannah several years back. I think you were at Novartis at the time, Hannah, if I recall. But I've been following what you're doing. I follow what coaching you do. I follow the books that you write. And so it was a natural to reach out and try to get you on our podcast. So Hannah, please introduce yourself to our audience. Yes, you all. Thank you, Patrick and Rosin, for having me on your podcast. I really look forward to connecting with your listeners. So my name is Hannah Anam, and I am spent 20 years in corporate America, various C-level roles, started off with Procter & Gamble, then with Novartis. I had an early midlife crisis, I like to call it, and really tried to figure out, you know, what is it that I really want to do when I grow up? And at that point in time, you know, that, that movie Eat, Pray, Love had just come out. And so I thought, all right, you know, I'm going to go to an ashram and figure out who I am and what I want in life. And so I did that, <laughs> spent 10 days there and uh, came back with a much better sense of what really brought me joy. And I have to say that, you know, what I discovered is that what brings me joy is that aha moment that we all have when we discover who we are and how we can make our biggest impact you know, to our world. And so I suspect that many of the listeners here in the, on the podcast are people who are change leaders. And so being aware of who they are, what makes their heart sing, and what is a change that really inspires them, I think is, is I hope we get into those conversations. Yeah, well, Hannah, it is so wonderful to have you. Just before the, the show, we were just having a chat and I said, well, we better start recording because we were getting so deep into the conversation. So, so now we're inviting our listeners into to what started off with a, a very, very interesting conversation. So, Hannah, you know, the thing that fascinates me about your background, you know, you are a, you've got so many things that you're interested in, you know, and you, your career is is super focused on helping coach leaders to thrive in times of disruption, which is really the heart of our podcast and, and why so many of our listeners dial in. And we've had so many wonderful guests on the show. You know, we had a, a lady called Cassandra Worthy on who whose position, she was an engineer. You know, you talk about your aha moment. You, you should listen to the, the podcast with Cassandra. She talks about when she decided to become a change enthusiast, you know, from, a, from an engineer. We've had the global CEO of Vodafone Business on who you know, deploys his technique of a, an elephant and a frog, a stuffed animal in every meeting he goes into and why he does it and how, you know, that really links to the human nature and, and reaction to change. You know, and you describe yourself as a student of life. You talk about your aha moment. Thanks, Julia Roberts, for inspiring you to, to head off and go and think about it. But I'm just interested in your passions, you know, and, and really what's shaped your leadership view in life and, and why you've gone into the sector of, of work and why you stepped out of corporate America. 
Yeah. So, so I think, you know, as we go through life, I think all of us, I think we all search for fulfillment within ourselves. And for me, the aha moment was, you know, I, I had a very successful career, you know, every couple of years, new roles, expanded responsibilities, various C-level roles inside of organizations. And what I was discovering, ironically, it, it happened when my team and I were recognized, we were one of 10, I was one of 10 people in a company of 90,000 people that year to get recognized for our business building results. And I remember taking a flight from Basel, Switzerland to Mexico City, which is where I was living at the time. It's a long flight. And, you know, these long flights make for existential thoughts. And I remember thinking I should really be happy. And so it started this, this thought in my head, like I'm happy, but I'm not happy, happy. And, and the happy, happy is about being fulfilled. And what I recognize is that, you know, I've been spending so much of my time achieving, 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 and achievement is fantastic. But if it's not linked to purpose for you, it leaves you feeling empty. Mm. And so for me, my time at the ashram was really starting to discover what is purposeful for me, because as much as I, I'm somebody who loves challenge and I love being in change and driving change, there needs to be a sense of focus and purpose brings that sense of focus. Mm. And so I think coming back to my passions and the question that you were asking, Rowan, I think for me, what I discovered is I loved bringing people to a sense of being fulfilled that is driven from their authentic self, that is driven from who am I, who, who am I, and what is the change that I want to drive that really makes my heart sing? Yeah. Because that yeah. is when we're going to be fulfilled. And that, that is frankly when we're going to do our best work and perform at our very best. And Hina, we had Ellen Windermuth from uh, Waterbay Network, who's the executive producer of my octopus teacher, and she speaks about staying in your flow. And when as a human being, you get out of your flow, that's when you stop being happy. And we had a, a speaker called Dr. Dr. Melissa on who speaks about being intentional about your happiness in your life. And the CEO of Kabuni, who's about to be launched, which talks about unlocking the design potential in every human being. So we're definitely seeing a lot more of this personal, intentional ownership around how you approach and, and thrive and change. Yeah, I, I... I really, I love this, the fact that you brought in this sense of flow, because I've been experiencing a ton of flow in my life, particularly in these last few months since the pandemic. And, you know, it's sort of weird to say because, you know, the pandemic has so created so much suffering for so many people. And at the same time, for me, the opportunity was, you know, okay, well, I'm no longer traveling. I'm no longer speaking and getting out and how can I be most purposeful in this time? So I actually literally March 15th, which is when we went into lockdown in the US, I sat myself down and I said, okay, what is it that I'm that inspires me and brings me joy? What is it that I love to do and, and would also be of service to others? And what is it that I am good at? And so when I looked at the intersection of all of those three things, I felt really inspired to write a book and it's called Wired for Disruption. And I wanted to help people know that as human beings are innately agile and that, you know, give them the tools because I think there was so much 
in terms of what stress that people were dealing with, that we can have the tools that we can bring to bear in order to shift into our natural agility, that agility is actually part of the human DNA. And so I wanted to give them that sense of confidence. Yeah, we're talking to leaders here, right? And whether you're a leader of a team of three or four, or you're a leader of a team of thousands, right? You, we're talking to leaders and words don't come up a lot like what you're talking. Think about where your joy source comes from, right? That's not necessarily a default leadership thing to use that term. I can tell you, I don't recall the joy word coming up in any of our podcast discussions so much. And you also approach it from this notion of, I know you have a passion around neuroscience and neuro leadership and really digging in, not just saying emotional intelligence. So before we dissect the book a little bit, where are leaders not getting it, right? Like where where does a leader say, you're actually, this is a pitfall, like just recognize the pitfall, maybe not the solve yet, but as a leader, what would you tell our listeners that this is a pitfall that you've just got to acknowledge it's a pitfall before we can help you solve it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, there, I think there are so many pitfalls that, you know, these, what I, I think I call them sort of biases and assumptions that we've made up right, about what leadership should be. Right. I remember when I, when I started my career at Procter & Gamble, it was about, you know, you got to do three things. You got to set a vision. You've got to, you know, align people to that vision and you got to make it happen, right? Three things. That was kind of like, you know, 20 plus years ago now when I, when I started my career at PG, And it was all about you got to, which is me, my ego, kind of at the center of everything, right? I'm the sun and I'm the planets are all revolving around me. And I think what I've learned now that is very different from then is that we're all part of an ecosystem, right? And so it's not just about me coming up with my vision for what I want to get done. It's about what do we need as a community and what am I inspired to contribute to the community? So it's a very different perspective and mindset. And the inspiration and joy comes from seeing, being able to see the big picture, getting in touch with your own inspiration and saying, this is what I'm willing and wanting to contribute. In my, in my first book, which is called um, Wired for Authenticity, I talk about authentic leadership is the fullest expression of me for the benefit of we. And by the fullest expression, it's like the most inflow expression of me, right? It's the most joyous expression of me for the benefit of this ecosystem that I'm in. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a great way to think about it, right? And I was going to come back to that book because uh, that was one of the things I noticed several years ago, you're wired for authenticity because authenticity and leadership is, is, is so critical. I was running a panel for an industry conference yesterday and I had three wonderful execs around the topic of sustainability, right? So I had a woman from a retailer, I had several of those big CPG companies, and we were kind of talking around how to pivot organizations to purpose and stand for something and sustainability. And, you know, it's a struggle for businesses because there's still a profit motive. You still have to drive all of that. As a leader, you bring that into your role. I've got to deliver numbers. I've got to hit develop talent, but I also need to bring this purpose to bear on it. So talk a little bit to that about how and it certainly seems the pendulum has really swung over there that people are getting that the role of purpose, the role of finding your joy uh, is so critical. Yes, you still got to deliver the business. And, you know, you've worn those hats in companies. How do you think about that? And how would you put out some tidbits for our audience to how to think about it? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I've discovered is when I am in my joy state, that's what creates flow. 
So knowing your own joy state and what brings joy to you and spending a lot of time in that joy state, I think is critical. The, one of the assumptions we were talked about, you know, like, you know, work is hard. Thank God it's Friday. <laughs> you know, those are, those are sort of outdated assumptions, I think. We're going to be living into our 90s as human beings, right? Do we really want to be living lives of misery? No, no, life and work is intended to be joyful and creative. And in fact, as more and more, you know, artificial intelligence comes in and takes on the repetitive analytical tasks that a lot of, you know, labor intensive tasks that a lot of human beings were doing, I think our human, human experience needs to include us evolving and moving into places of joy and creativity. That's where we will make our biggest contributions, right? And there is no creativity without joy. You know, I mean, if, if you're think about it, like when you're like tremendously stressed, do you come up with the best ideas? Do you know how to be really, really creative? So I think coming back to purpose and, you know, I think I was having a, a fantastic conversation the other day with Patty Hull. Patty is the head of future of, of work for Unilever and Unilever the last you know, 10, 12 years under Paul Pullman, and now their new CEO has really gone through a purpose journey. And they've done now purpose workshops for 60,000 Unilever people. Can you imagine understanding fully what your own purpose is and then bringing that to your workplace? You know, you don't longer, there is no longer, thank God it's Friday. It's like, thank God it's Monday. You know, I get to exercise my purpose at work. And I, I think more and more, coming back to your point around sustainability, I think more and more we're seeing employee activism. And that's fantastic because we do want employees to feel like they are owners of the business and therefore have something very powerful to contribute to the ecosystem that the business is in. Yeah, and this is, it brings up, we had a conversation, as I said, with Neil Patel, who's the CEO of the soon-to-be-launching Kabuni, which is a immersive tech, it's a VR headset, but it's really, you know, unlocking the design potential in every human being. And, you know, he talks, you know, I don't think this is his strap line, but he talks about designing your work around your life, you know, mm. instead of the other way, which is, it is everything now, you know, it, it, it's together, it's not one or the other. And, you know, in your book, you talk about the whole neurobiology piece, you know, and mm. change being seen as a, a disruption to survival. And, you know, it really is, again, I go to that word intentionality, but I think you, you spoke about the interdependence that society is, is living in right now, but yet we don't have this, many don't have the skills to actually do the interdependence because they're living in fear of being obsolete, you know, and again, I'm referring to, to Vinod Kumar, who spoke about, you know, he's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, and he said, for years, he was like, I'm going to get found out. I don't know everything. I don't know everything. And then he went to this huge global conference with CEOs. And he said he just breathed a sigh of relief when all the other CEOs said, we live every day, like knowing that we don't know everything. And that's that's a fear. And I'd love to talk just about that concept a little bit more in your book. You know, you talk about this needing to be independent, but we don't have the skill sets and there's a fear. And I think with the dispersed workforce now with covid you know, being global now versus co company by company, you know, it really is a shift in leadership, you know, that actually you mentioned the moon and the stars. 
how do you feel confident as a person at the same time going, I'm not always on top of everything. I don't know everything. I've got to work with other people. Like, what are you seeing and, and what are your sort of your tips and advice to, to lead us to move through that? Because we all have it and we all fear it. How do we embrace it? Yeah, yeah. So in my book, Wired for Disruption, I talk about the five shifts in agility that we all need to lead in the future of work and actually to thrive in the future of work. The first shift in agility, which I think is what you're referring to, Rosen, is neuroemotional agility. That neuroemotional agility is our ability to shift our neural state, the state of our brain and body, from states of fear and threat, which disruption, you know, anytime we feel that we're not in control or change is happening around us and we don't have a handle on it, we feel overwhelmed, that state of disruption, that that creates um, a sense of fear and anxiety in the body. But we actually have the ability ourselves to shift ourselves from that neural state of, of threat to a state of calm, creative, curious, and collaborative. In my book, I talked about the research of a longtime neuroscientist, Dr. Richard Boyatzis. He is out of Case Western University, and he's done fMRI studies of the brain. And, And what his studies have shown is people are most adaptive to change when they are in neural states that are connected with their parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and relaxed nervous system. So when we're stressed, our sympathetic nervous system kicks in. We actually, you know, our eyes actually dilate. We tend to become very short focused. And so it's about moving ourselves from this, he calls it the analytic neural network in the brain, which is very task focused, which is very sort of like, okay, let me get this done to the, what he calls the empathic, empathetic neural network in the brain. And so we have the ability to shift ourselves. And the way that we shift ourselves are some of the things that actually a lot of people are learning these days. Their mindfulness practices, the ability to actually calm our mind and body by taking deeper breaths, by focusing on you know our body and doing a body scan. By the way, I do have a one of my courses on LinkedIn Learning, which is a course on mindfulness practices for work, includes mm-hmm. mindfulness practices for leading and change. That course has been taken by over half a million people. And so that's something, if, if that's something that your listeners are struggling with, check out that course on LinkedIn Learning. It's called Mindfulness Practices. And so... Neuroemotional agility is the ability to shift ourselves from states of threat to states of calm and, and, and creativity. And that's what we need to be able to do. And when we as leaders do that, then we actually shift our people and our teams because we all have, from a neural perspective, we all have mirror neurons. We unconsciously mimic each other's behavior. And so, you know, as you recognize that you're with somebody who's calm and creative, your body brain unconsciously gets into that same state. As a quick note to our listeners, Hannah's messaging a lot of things that are links. As always, they'll be in our show notes, right? So you'll be able to, the LinkedIn learning link and the book link, we'll make sure we, that you have access. So if you're out walking on a trail somewhere and can't write these down, just come to the, we'll, we'll link them into the show notes. So you'll have them for later. I want to dig into, I think it's your third in your book, uh, Wired for Disruption, what you call the third big challenge, which is this notion of individual threat states, but the need for fluid teams to do better collaboration to capitalize on opportunities. And so as leaders, we can get to know ourselves much better, but 
work still gets done in groups, right? And so we got to understand ourselves, but this notion of fluid team dynamics that are even yeah. getting more fluid in the future, non-structured work, kind of the future of work and how things will get done is a is a threat as you talk about it to creating opportunities. Touch on that because I think it's so insightful the way you've gotten your head around that and it might mm-hmm. be really good learning for our listeners. So more and more work will be done in gig-like teams. You know, the old structures of the what I call the industrial era structures of you will be in in this job for three years and then then we'll promote you to a different job and let me tell you exactly what your career path is going to look like gone right we're going to have portfolio careers and gig-like work the gigs would be with people inside of an organization could be people outside the organization teams will come together to solve a problem and then dissipate go solve another problem And so what that requires is what I call trust agility, the ability to quickly create trust in teams. And we, you know, we we know that teams that have trust are nine times more agile than teams that don't have trust. And so what does that look like? And I start, you know, as an executive coach, I work with senior executives, C-level leaders and CEOs. One of the things that I get, I have the privilege of being part of really vulnerable conversations. And a lot of those vulnerable conversations are around, you know, I don't trust this person and this person doesn't. And my advice and my, the coaching tool that I provide to people is, is, and so my book has five forms of agility and 15 accelerators of agility. And one of the accelerators of agility is what I call the trust first accelerator. And what it is, is, you know, we're always waiting for the other person to trust us. And all of the neuroscience data suggests that when we choose to trust somebody and show up vulnerably, that that actually changes their their brain chemistry so that they actually become more trustworthy. This is how we are as human beings, as herd animals. There's a chemical um, that's released in the brain called oxytocin, which is a connection and collaboration. And actually, it's the love chemical. And there's a wonderful book by Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. It's called Love 2.0. And she actually describes love as micro moments of connection when people let their guard down. And our body does not know the difference between people that we love that are, you know, our children, our, our, you know, partners, our friends, and these micro moments of connection that we have with somebody when there is great vulnerability, there is great trust, and our body actually has this release of oxytocin, which is amazing for our well-being. Yeah, and you talk about vulnerability. So, I, you know, as a comm specialist, always interested in the, the science behind people and we speak to so many different leaders, you know, especially at, at at senior board level and then, you know, going down. And I know you've, and I'm going to touch on the topic of men and women now. So I know you're very passionate about, you know, the gender discussion and advancing women in leadership and all that sort of thing. But as you talk about vulnerability, I can't help but think, and I know a lot of our listeners are going to go, oh, Rose, you, you're generalizing now. And I am, but there is a different makeup of men and women. And there's a very different makeup of, of how you lead and you you know, how vulnerable you're going to be and is it seen as a strength or a weakness? What are the differences you see between a man and a woman generalizing in terms of how they face change, how they build teams? So vulnerability is one of those things. But is there sort of some obvious things that you say, actually, women need to learn this in the new world and men need to learn this in the new world? Because actually, you know, 
the, the roles are changing dramatically and we just inherently approach change differently as genders. What I would say is, let me start with authenticity, right? So for me, authenticity is the intelligence that we have at the center of ourselves. A lot of times I think about it as our presence, as our deep presence, right? Which is very agile. It responds to change in a beautiful way. It's our mind and ego that gets in the way of our agility and it gets in the way of our authenticity, right? And so to answer your question, I think men and women each have parts of ourselves that are what we call traditionally male, which are more, you know, male parts are more assertive, right? Decisive. Those are male energies, if you will. And men and women both have them. And then there are what are called, I, I would think of as sort of female parts, which are more receptive. They're more, you know, watching out for like, not just me, but the entire community, right? Those are parts of us that are, that are more collaborative. They're more listening, right? And caring. And men and women have both of these parts inside of ourselves. The problem is that society has said, Men must be, that's our socialization, right? That's the ego. That's the collective ego, if you will. Men must be this way. You know, boys, don't cry, right? And women must be that way. Girls, you need to learn how to play well in the play, you know, playground. Don't push her, you know? And so as when we're born, we have these natural tendencies as kids. We have an assertive part and we have a receptive part. And then society tells us how we should be. And that's what creates the problem. In the best of leaders, I have seen them use both of these energies according to what's needed in the environment in the present moment. And have you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? Yes, I love that book. She, she read it on, on Audible. Yeah, she speaks so much about how, I think she says from 11 we stop feeling and thinking what we want and society takes over. You know, our parents, our school, the structure we work in tells us exactly what you've just said. You know, you, you need to be this way or that way. It's a, a very interesting book and linked to what you're saying here. I want to go back to authenticity, right? So your previous book, right, before Wired for Disruption was Wired for Authenticity. And in that book, you kind of talked about, I think there were seven, seven practices that are really relevant for leaders, right? And I think, I don't remember what year that book came out, but I think some of them are even relevant now, right? In this wild time of disruption, we're coming out of a global pandemic. Technology disruption is happening really first. Commerce disruption is happening. Ways of working are getting disrupted. As you think about the seven practices is there are one or two of them that jump to you to say, this is actually a really relevant factor. Yes, yes, yes. Gosh, let me first say what the seven are just for the listeners so that they can figure out what's most relevant for them. Perfect. There is a also an online quiz that they can do for both of the books uh, where they can go in and sort of say, hey, which of these am I really good at? And which of these do I need to go develop in? That might be really important. So the the seven are, the first is befriend your body. <laughs> so many of us are in our minds and the mind is where the ego resides uh, and our body holds the truth. So when we connect with our bodies to really understand, look, to me, my biggest experience of befriending my body was actually at the ashram, like really, as I got into my mindfulness practices, 
I started to go from my head, which was telling me what I should do or what I should like to in my body, discovering what brings me joy. Oh my God, I feel my heart feels so good right now. What's bringing me joy? What's happening here? So just staying connected to your body is powerful. The second is staying curious. So, you know, as the world disrupts around us, being able to stay in curiosity, right, as things change and not just make assumptions. And that's part of my second book is learning agility, right? So one of the other forms of agility is learning agility and it's very connected with curiosity. The the next piece is letting go, letting go of the shoulds, you know, letting go of all the things that our mind tells us we need to do. And A is accepting yourself just as you are right now in this moment. So that then you can go from that place of confidence and 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 choose to create whatever it is that you want to create. Choose be before do. You know, who am I being in this moment before I run to go do something? Where is that action coming from? And leaders are so guilty of that, being a problem solver and solving a problem before you even think about the problem or figure out a solution. So that yeah. one resonates so much from work that we're doing on the consulting side, but just it, we're, we're biased for the action. We are. We are absolutely biased for action. The, the next one is face the dragon, and it's about facing our fears and cultivating courage. Because a life of authenticity and any life where you're going to be in the midst of disruption is going to be about cultivating the courage to face what's in front of you. And then the last one is dance with the dream. And that's all about, you know, discovering what inspires you. You know, what is the change that you want to drive that truly brings you joy and inspires you? So good. Yeah. I mean, the the whole notion of authenticity and you were kind of on the leading edge of really getting, giving that a voice in so many ways through that book still resonates so strongly. And I actually think, you know, there's a masterclass here, which you probably have, which connects authenticity with this disruption, wired for disruption. And it's just, I mean, your coaching clients must get the benefit of that real time, but it's just connecting those two things is so powerful as you try to lead a team through really turbulent places when you weren't trained or equipped to do that. And Hina, you you speak about you've mentioned it quite a lot through our conversation is is missions that matter, you know, and and really doing understanding your why, I suppose it is. So, how do you? What is your advice to people that are joining a company or operating within a company? Like, how do you marry? And it might seem like a very obvious question, but how do you marry the company's why with your why? Like, where's the mission that matters? Is it simply? Oh, okay, this company does good for society. And, and so that's the kind of company I want to join. Or do you think there's, you know, do you think there's another layer to that? I mean, how, you know, some people may say, well, I work for a job because I need to pay the bills. How do you create this mission that matters in any situation that you're in as a person? Because at the end of the day, it's about, we talk about intentionality and design, design your life, design your mindset, design who you are. Have you got any tips for people if they they might be in a, a company or situation where it's not really a hundred percent they they why but they can create their why mm-hmm. so I think our why always starts with ourselves first and this is what I love about the approach of Unilever is you know forget the company's why for a little bit and let's focus on you you the individual what brings you joy and you know our why also evolves over time Right. So for me, a big part of my why when I left corporate America was about, you know, helping leaders really live into their their potential 
to help them have the hot moments. As we went through the pandemic and I had a lot of time to do self-reflection, I, you know, my book was all about how can we create, you know, a movement. And I committed myself to impacting a million people to create, to be disrupt for good leaders. I'm going to disrupt myself. So in service of a mission that really matters to me, because when we align with a mission and purpose, then it's going to require us to be agile. We have to give up parts of our identity. We have to give up, become much more courageous. We have to, you know, give up the, you know, you said, you talked about this whole gender stereotypes. You know, if there is a mission that matters that is beyond and more important to you than your own identity, now that's a way (laughs) to actually get into the roller coaster, right, of of stripping yourself of identity and saying there is something big, bigger to me that matters than myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to need to be a lot more agile to make that happen. And so a million disrupt for good leaders, my latest, you know, how, how I, my mission and purpose is evolving is I want to bring more presence into leadership. Now I really want to cultivate a, a field of leadership where Presence is something that is as well known and as well practiced as emotional intelligence. And presence is about being here now and and inviting flow and synchronicity in your leadership. And so that's experience that is really exciting to me. It's really inspiring me right now. Do you have a course on that yet? No, but I'll I'll let you know, Ross, when I do. I think we need one of those courses. I mean, you know, I'm a, a mom. I, I, d- I decided to have kids, you know, post 40 very late in life. And I think one of the things I've learned with my daughter, who's, who's two, is, you know, she and any parent will know this. I've just learned it late, you know, being present. So they play up when they're not getting your attention, your presence. And I think it's built in us from the day we're born. Like, are you yeah. present to me and I'm present to you? And there's a, a course I've done as a mom called Positive Parenting Solutions. And they talk about two 15-minute slots a day where you just put everything down and you focus on each other. And I couldn't help but think, you know, it's not just kids. It's actually every human being, you know, are you present? So I think no matter how old we are, we can never stop learning. So please put one of those up. I'd love to do it. (laughs) We're actually thinking about doing a retreat for women on presence. We're calling it a pilgrimage to yourself, finding your power, purpose, and presence. Wonderful. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us. We have uh, so many insights in this. I know our listeners took a lot away from it. I know we will have a lot of these links in the show notes, as I said before, but just thank you for taking some time and being so gracious and sharing some of your thoughts. Well, it was so much fun being with both of you. I loved our conversation. Yes. So, so, so lovely to have you and and looking forward to continuing the conversation with you you after this. And for our listeners, you've heard the two books that Hannah has mentioned a few times, Wired for Authenticity and Wired for Disruption. As Patrick says, you can find those on changecultivators.com. And Hannah has a host of fantastic courses. Hannah, they're all available on your LinkedIn page, right? They're all part of LinkedIn Learning. Yeah. Wonderful. And is there anywhere else we can direct our listeners for for further info or to get in in touch with you besides LinkedIn or is that the main channel? They can also find me on my website. It's www.transformleaders.tv and 
they can on that website, they can actually go do two different assessments, self-assessments that are free. One is to see how they are in their practice of authenticity. And the other is how are they in their practice of agility? I hope our listeners go check it out. And it's been a fantastic conversation. I always find it very brave when, you know, if you aren't in your flow, when you actually decide to change careers midway through your career. So, you know, very brave. And I think, you know, you, you, you're walking the talk of what you, you speak about. So just really wonderful to have you and look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you so much.